welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 30, headlined by a heavyweight scrap between Cyril Ghan and Alexander Volkov. A very inter- interesting and important, I was about to say, intraportant fight, as I believe it truly is, especially on the Cyril Ghan side of things, because we truly get to find out how uh, well he is ready to go in terms of fighting the top five of the division and being a possible title contender in the very new future as I truly believe that Alexander Volkov is the toughest test that he's had up until this point and I truly think it's going to cause Gon to show all parts of his game to pull out the victory in this fight so I can't wait to break it down for you guys later in this episode rest of the card decent also I do want to remind you guys this is an early start card so we got 1 p.m eastern start time on the prelims and 4 p.m eastern on the main card I love it that way. I love these afternoon fights so that I have the evening to do whatever the hell I want with my wife, with my family, do whatever I want in the evenings, just dedicate the day to the UFC and then afterwards turn my brain off and just chill out for the rest of the day. Uh, so I'm lo- very much looking forward to that. But like I said, the rest of the card, we got uh, the fight that I'm pretty much looking forward to the most, Hani Barcelos against uh, Timur Valiev. A uh, ton of talent between both of those guys. Both of those guys have top 10 aspirations, I believe. Uh, they're very, very skilled. I wouldn't even be surprised if one of them fights for a belt within the next two years or so they are that skilled so i can't wait to see who ends up coming on top and having to go uh gets closer to the top of the ladder and who gets you know push down a couple rungs but will still probably be able to work their way back up into that top 10 and top 5 discussion so again a couple interesting spots throughout the card but that's definitely the one that i'm looking forward to the most and always we go over the betting recap of the last event this is now two losing events in a row lock the night whiffs again we have the Janderoba and murata over two and a half i had four units at minus 200 a mangled arm once again wins our lock of the night play but it is what it is I'm not I I'd be lying if I didn't believe that John DeRoba would be able to throw up at least one or two submission attempts against Murata and that's exactly what she did but I was expecting calm patience and discipline from Murata which is what we did but she just didn't allow her arm to showcase that same calm and discipline as it eventually ended up mangling her arm we saw that in the second round where she was pretty much holding it at her waist the entire time the referee comes in pretty much immediately and calls off the fight as soon as the second round ends so we went on the over two and a half play there uh and then the dog that i played dv grant minus 1.5 units at plus 165 has a very good first round but then drops the ball in the second two rounds and ends up losing that fight via decision uh good improvements from marlon vera great job in terms of improving on the first fight they had about five years ago uh and we end up losing there so all in all minus five and a half units on the card two bets lose uh very unfortunate we do move on to the next event uh hopefully you know to turn things around um Overall, it was a pretty bad card for me in terms of predictions too. I went three out of uh, three and nine on predictions. Only three fights that I got correct, I believe. Um, uh, geez, I, I, Sergey Spivak. Um, and I think that the brightest part of the card for me was calling Sergey Spivak by decision at plus six hundred. That was probably my best spot on the card. And then the rest of the card, I, I shit the bed. I think Casey O'Neill was the only other one that I called, and there was one more that I, I just can't remember off the top of my head. But most of my spots did miss last week, and it was not a good week. Probably the worst week that I had all year. But we get right back on the horse. I've been doing this thing for far too long to let that discourage me, to let the haters discourage me. We chug along, we move forward, and we turn the page, and we try to capitalize on UFC. 
Vegas 30, which I believe has a lot better options in terms of lock of the night plays. Maybe not so much on the dog of the night side, as I don't believe many dogs are going to win this weekend. So I'm really going to have to go through it with a fine tooth comb to find that dog spot to give us some plus money for this weekend. Uh, as always, do want to uh, shout out the Patreon, patreon.com slash MMALOTN. Link is in the description below. Uh, I already have my Lock of the Night play posted on there. I'll be uh, posting it for the public on Friday for free. The lines may not be the same or anything like that. Right now, it's hovering around roughly what I bet it at. Uh, but the Lock of the Night play is already posted on there. Still looking for a dog, but that should be posted very soon. Also, my Best Bets and Props article will be dropped in full by Thursday afternoon, uh, as well as my uh, Best Prize Picks tips going through the full card something that i just added last week is a, a prize picks tips article as you guys already know i obviously draw my prize picks tips video which i give you guys my three favorite spots but uh, this time around i'm actually going to give you guys my full card on patreon and just still the three spots on the youtube video and yeah obviously great discord community which is very lively and popping always opening it up to hundreds of new messages from these guys because they're staying very very active in there so shout out to those guys and trust me it's a community that you want to be a part of so once again patreon.com slash MMALOTN, uh, five bucks a month, super cheap, super worth it, the best bang for your buck that you're going to get within the MMA industry. And that's definitely why it is the leading Patreon on, in the MMA world with over 430 members currently, uh, or active members, I should say, currently. And uh, I continue to see that. I can't wait to see that uh, number continue to grow. And hopefully we can hit that 500 mark within the next two months or so. But to do that, we're going to have to start stringing some wins together, and I'm expected to start that this weekend at UFC Vegas 30. Last thing I want to plug before we get into the breakdowns, CoolBet, CoolBet.com. Uh, make sure you guys use promo code MMALOTN2 if you guys are looking for a new bookie. They are very, very good. You are able to parlay props. They even have great lines as well that I'm able to get uh, there compared to other places where I'm not able to. So make sure you guys check out CoolBet. It's only available in a select few countries. Uh, the, the countries are listed in the link, uh, the description below, so make sure you guys check it out. But once again if you guys do sign up the promo code is mmalotn2 they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks trust me you're going to want to take full advantage of it because it is a great website and it's definitely leading the industry in my opinion in terms of the different types of features that they have that most other websites do not trust me just check it out and you'll know what i'm talking about all right i'm going to shut my blabber about uh the, the the plugs and sponsorships and all that type of stuff and we'll get right into the breakdowns appreciate the love as always if you guys haven't already make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe and now enjoy the breakdowns. Demir Hadzovic versus Yancy Medeiros. We got minus 140 on Demir Hadzovic and plus 120 on Yancy Medeiros. And this fight was much closer lined the first time they actually had uh, were scheduled to fight each other, I believe, early May. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Yancy Medeiros' side tested positive for COVID and the fight was ultimately called off. I actually do want to confirm that. I should have had that information ready to go as I hit record on this uh on this fight but uh yeah it was uh, actually a Hadzovic's side he had to pull out uh so Hadzovic back I don't think much has changed you know I could have just posted my old breakdown here again but I do just want to you know give you guys a little bit of a fresh one but I'm pretty much going to be saying the same thing that I said on the last one you know I think that Yancy Madero is kind of surprised that he's only 33 years old feels like he's been inside the UFC forever but just hasn't really not been able to get his game going or string together enough victories like his 
biggest peak in his UFC career was having a three-fight winning streak over Sean Spencer, Eric Silva, and Alex Cowboy Oliveira, um, where he came in as a pretty hefty underdog. And then that set him up for a main event slot against Cowboy Cerrone, where he ended up losing that fight in the first round, pretty much right at the ending of the first round. After that, goes out there and gets mauled by Gregor Gillespie, but you can't really uh, bang on him too hard for that one, and then loses his next fight to Lando Venata. Demir Hadzovic, we know what he brings to the table. Good striker, solid hands, but if you can bring a grapple-heavy approach against him, you're probably going to be successful. I just don't believe in Yancy Medeiros' ability to be successful in the grappling realm here, as I don't think that he has the greatest takedowns. I don't think he's the greatest on top. I think that Hadzovic will have success in terms of stuffing takedowns or getting back to his feet if he does get taken down here, and I think that's going to cause um, Yancy a ton of trouble. If this fight remains on the feet, I think the more impactful and better shots are going to be coming from the Hadzovic side of things, and I don't think that uh, Yance Medeiros has the, the the volume or his own power that will um, that will make Hadzovic kind of tentative in terms of throwing his own shots. I think the only way that Hadzovic will be tentative in this fight is if Yancey spams takedowns time and time again, tries to engage in the clinch and tries to drag this fight to the ground, but I just don't think that he'll be successful in doing so. I think that Hadzovic, obviously very pissed off from his last fight against Hanato Moikano, he should be able to go out there and put together some solid combinations on the feet to truly cause Yancey Madero's trouble, and I think he could potentially find that knockout blow um and you know what I'll, I'll actually say that he does i'm going to say in the in the second round demir hazovic finds that shin of yancy medeiros and puts him down i do think that hazovic has a solid striking good fundamentals uh great power as well which should cause yancy medeiros some trouble here i personally think that hazovic won't even respect the power that's going to be coming his way from the yancy medeiros side of things which should allow him to truly get his combinations going and eventually find that kill shot in that second round so i do like demir hazovic here uh probably won't have any official action on this fight but i do think the side that's going to win is going to be the demir hazovic side with his hands letting them go being comfortable in there showcasing the knockout power like he did in the polo reyes fight and this should be an easier fight for him as he's not going to have to deal with as heavy of grappling as he did in his fight against christos yagos and hanat moikano which again only lasted 44 seconds but i think that we'll see demir be very successful in keeping this fight vertical getting his strikes going and then getting that knockout in round two Charles Rosa versus Justin Janes. We got minus 170 on Charles Rosa and plus 150 on the Guitar Hero, Justin Janes. Now, if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that I love to fade Justin Janes more often than not. But I actually did break one of my rules last time around by betting Justin Janes to win inside round one. I think the line was like plus 600 or something like that when he went up against Devontae Smith. But that was more so me just questioning Devontae Smith's durability, especially after coming out coming off of a devastating knockout loss to Kamal Worthy, I believe, a, a roughly a year or so before that not to mention Devontae Smith had a ton to deal with in terms of injuries leading into that fight so I did give some credence into the fact that Justin James will probably be able to find that first round knockout at plus 600 it did not come to fruition he ended up losing that fight in the second round via doctor stoppage after his eye was completely shut after Devontae Smith was able to land a devastating ground and pound and get him out of there 
Two fights before that, I did fade him in both of those fights. His fight against Gabriel Benitez, which Benitez was able to find the beautiful body kick uh, finish in the first round. Really laid it on him from the get-go. Was just unrelenting with the body kicks and pressure. And Justin James had no idea what to do. Then the Gavin Tucker fight. That one was a little bit more hairy as he was able to put Gavin Tucker into some big, big trouble in that first round. Rocking him and hurting him in first. And then eventually having a very tight guillotine choke where he was able to, to even establish full mount. But Gavin Tucker was wiggling out with the best of his abilities and he was able to get out to eventually to the point even losing his pants or his shorts if you guys remember that fight and then getting back on top and landing some good shots of his own even getting uh, Justin James into a very tight arm triangle choke of his own uh, to end off that first round and then Gavin really started to take over we saw the body shots and all the activity that Gavin was putting on Justin James really start to wear on James and James was starting to slow down and the pop on his shots was were really coming off and the he was really starting to telegraph a lot of his punches too which is why Gavin Tucker was able to get out of the way now here against Charles Rosa people don't really seem to be that high on Rosa here which is why I believe he's only a minus 170 but I do think that he's a much more UFC caliber fighter than what Justin James brings to the table James again has a bit of a wrestling background but we don't see much of it um, he seemed to be a little bit more promising earlier on in his career but I don't know what happened but as um his last couple of years, uh, you know, when he's finding legitimate competition, he's coming up short. He's able to beat the guys in the regional scene that don't really deserve to be there. Uh, you know, even guys that, uh, let's be honest, some of his fights before the UFC, if you guys watch some of the tape there, those cages were so small. Like, it, he could almost punch the referee with any of the shots that he's throwing out there. And that was a huge benefit to him because he was able to track down these guys and land the big shots and eventually knock them out. The one fight that always comes to mind for me was this fight against against Brandon Noble which only lasted about three and a half minutes but for the majority of those three and a half minutes Brandon Noble who's a mediocre fighter at best was able to light up Justin James with a ton of different strikes and techniques and was really hurting Justin James and uh, outpointing him and outvoluming him but due to the lack of space in that cage Justin James was able to really corral him up against the cage and then land big shots to eventually put his lights out so the one thing I will give Justin James he has a lot of power but if that's your really only way to win a fight I more than like will be fading you especially when i don't think that knockout power is as devastating as most people are making it making it seem i do like charles rosa's approach here there are times when he's fighting in the orthodox position where you'll see him have a bit of a tighter guard a little bit higher of a guard and more of a boxing stance compared to when he's fighting in the southpaw stance which is where he goes into his wonder boy karate style hands down and really leaps into his combinations which i think he's gonna have to be very careful with about uh here against justin james I do think that Rosa wins this fight pretty much where, wherever it goes. He only has one knockout loss on his record. He has been dropped three times in the UFC, but shows great wherewithal in terms of getting back into the fight. And his very offensive guard uh, from a, from his back, even while rocked, is very good in terms of creating space and creating um opportunities for himself to recover without eating too many big shots uh which is why i believe he's able to survive more often than not now he's two in three in his last five fights but one of those was that only knockout loss against shane burgos comes back and submits a very highly credentialed jiu-jitsu black belt in manny bermudas that was a very very impressive armbar victory he was able to pull off over uh manny bermudas there i believe his armbar or or a triangle choke um 
goes out there next time around and gets uh, twisted up in knots by Bryce Mitchell. But I don't expect Justin James to have the jujitsu of Bryce Mitchell or Derek Minner, which was obviously Charles Rosa's last fight where he just didn't have any answers for Derek Minner. But we do have to give him some credit in terms of staying as active as he did off of his back. There were plenty of armbar attempts, plenty of triangle attempts, and plenty of opportunities for him to attempt to try to pull off a reversal i think if justin james try to take tries to take that type of approach which is a grapple heavy approach i think he's going to get it as submitted as i don't think that his gas tank will allow him to keep up with the submission attempts that charles rosa is going to be throwing up at him and then the one win that he does have sandwiched between the bryce mitchell and Derek minner losses is the fight against kevin aguilar which is a pretty back and forth fight but we did see a lot of success from charles rosa in terms of just landing the bigger or landing the better and more efficient shots where kevin aguilar is more often than not throwing at air and i do think that we're going to see a similar fight here between uh james and rosa than what we saw with rosa and aguilar but i just don't think that uh, james is as good as aguilar i think that james again telegraphs his shots his cardio does not look good and uh, he doesn't lean on that wrestling like he used to earlier in his career and i don't think that it's going to have much success here even against charles rosa as i do believe that rosa's offensive ability off of his back will keep James uh, from being able to settle from on top, will keep him from landing big shots from on top, and then eventually find a submission off of his back. So th there's two ways that I was looking to approach this fight. It was either just taking Rosa straight up because I think we're getting massive value on him at minus 170. Truly, I think he wins this fight 80% of the time. People might think that I'm being a little bit too lenient with Rosa there, but I do think he's that much better than what Justin James brings to the table. I also want to throw out there that Justin James is, has not won a fight at 145 pounds, at least according to his topology record. Um, also, last thing I'll say, I, I saw Rosa winning, which is why I'm taking him to win this fight. I'm more than likely going to be be making in my big play for the week but even the under two and a half here i saw it hovering around plus money plus 100 minus 110 if it does fully reach plus money uh come you know closer to the fight i'll probably make it my dog of the night play as a possible insurance because if justin james does get a freak ko knockout it covers that but also i do think that charles rosa has the chops to go out there and finish justin james uh either submission or punches i think it'll actually end up coming uh via submission after he starts to wear on the gas tank of justin james eventually either land a takedown or get into a position where it's a club and sub situation where he can jump on the back and get a submission because he is a very very crafty black belt that was who we saw in his last several fights so i like rosa everywhere here as long as he can evade the big bomb of justin james i think he has his fight tied up in a bow my question mark is regarding whether he finishes him or plays a super safe and disciplined from distance by just picking justin james apart and uh, not really going for the kill in terms of overextending and potentially getting knocked out in his own right so um I will take Rosa by second round submission. I think that's when it's going to happen. But I'm not ruling out the possibility that Rosa goes out there and just wins a decision by staying as safe as possible. But as an official prediction, I am going with Charles Rosa via second round submission. Julia Avila going up against Yulia Stolyarenko. We got minus 345 on Avila and plus 285 on Stolyarenko. If you guys remember, this fight was supposed to take place back in March. But Stolyarenko had a very, very bad episode in terms of trying to make weight. You saw her completely, you know, fall off the stage, actually. Or, sorry, fall off the scale into the backdrop. And uh, she just did not look good. They tried weighing her in. She just couldn't stay steady enough. And obviously, the fight was called off shortly thereafter. Um, 
you know, unfortunate circumstance there. Hopefully she has a better weight cut this time around where we don't see a similar situation and she's able, you know, it seemed like she had enough time off. It was about three months ago since that had happened. And now hopefully she's able to, you know, diet correctly, get down to the optimal weight for fight week and then make weight without much issue. Uh, she's going up against Julia Avila, like I said, who last time around did end up losing to Sajar Eubanks as a heavy favorite. And uh, I think she definitely learned a lot in that fight as she more than likely was never pushed that hard in most of her fights on the regional scene she did have a very close fight with nico montano uh a good learning experience for her i believe but i do think that she's definitely learned a lot from the sajar eubanks fight which should have aided her in this fight against julia stoliarenko now julia vila is a black belt in jiu-jitsu so that should definitely help her in terms of staying out of any of the submission attempts from stoliarenko who has eight wins via armbar out of her nine submission victories which is crazy and they actually ended up calling her the lithuanian ronda rousey and for good reason especially when you have that that type of resume i'm expecting full-on violence in this fight you know the the under two and a half is actually sitting around plus 135 plus 155 at certain spots and uh, I'm, I'm i'm intrigued by it I, I might actually take a little bit of a stab on it as i do think that we'll see a, a raging panda that we haven't seen before that's going to be very aggressive against the stoliarenko who seems you know durable at times but i think that she will wilt under the pressure of julia villa i do think that stoliarenko could be live off of her back because she does have a very offensive guard and we've seen avila you know not showcase her black belt to the best of its abilities especially last time around against sajar eubanks I think that we're going to see many chaotic scenes in this fight, but I do think it's ultimately going to be Avila winning this fight by TKO. Uh, and, you know, I don't feel comfortable taking her at minus 345. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather take her inside the distance as I do think that there's some value there. But I will be looking at that under 2.5 because I think that, uh, again, both girls have a very high upside in terms of finding a finish. Like I said, Stoliarenko, plenty of submissions off of her back. And then Julia Villa has a ton of power that not a lot of women are able to possess. And even though Stoliarenko has probably faced that type of power in the past, I think that she's going to struggle here against Avila who should have good enough time position and then eventually find a dominant position and eventually start getting that ground and pound going so i'm actually going to be going with julia villa by second round tko um but i think this should be a very very fun fight i'd be skeptical in terms of parlaying avila at this spot just because i do think that the line is a little bit wide but she should be able to go out there and implement her game very emphatically and find that finish shortly thereafter so i would say second round tko for julia Avila as long as she stays out of the submission game of julia Stoliarenko. so once again julia Avila, second round tko via ground and pound Ike Villanueva versus Marcin Pracnio. We got minus 190 on Pracnio and plus 165 is the return on Ike Villanueva. Let's start off on the Villanueva side of things, who's one and two in his UFC run up until this point. Uh, his two losses were in his first two fights, obviously. The first one being against Chase Sherman, where he was not able to endure the calf kicking approach of a Chase Sherman who evidently ended up testing positive by USADA after that fight and has definitely not looked the same since that fight which I believe he's only fought on Jarlovsky and had a very poor performance that time around and then the Jordan Wright fight where you know it only lasts a minute and a half and there was a beautiful clinch position that Jordan Wright was able to take full advantage of landing some beautiful knees which ultimately cut open the eyebrow of Ike Villanueva and it was a very very bad cut and uh, rightfully stopped so good one for Jordan Wright there but very poor um, unfortunately 
unfortunate circumstance for Ike Villanueva. Luckily for him, he was able to bounce back on Fight Island back in January where he was able to get a second round victory over Vinicius Mojeda in a fight that, uh, you know, it seemed like Mojeda was content with just kicking from the outside in that first round with uh, Ike landing some decent shots on, um, you know, every time that he was trying to counter him from those kicks. And then come the second round, we see Mojeda finally landing some head strikes, but ultimately getting countered beautifully by Ike Villanueva and then putting his lights out, I believe, about 40 seconds into that second round. Now, Villanueva has a very intriguing record in the regional scene in terms of fighting guys that have been to the UFC and who have seen the top show, most notably in his last two fights before coming to the UFC, where he was able to knock out Roger Narvaez and uh, Rashad Coulter en route to getting that call up to the UFC. The guy seems very durable. He seems like he has a ton of uh, heart, and it seems like you know that Chase Sherman fight was a bit of an anomaly, not to mention with the uh, USADA violation that Chase Sherman did quickly receive after after that fight um in the Vinicius Mojeda fight again kind of one-sided in terms of Mojeda's inability to get the fight to the ground and then if it's in the striking realm it's all Ike Villanueva here against Marcin Pracnio he's going up against the guy that finally got into the win column in the UFC after four attempts uh after he was able to go out there and beat Khalil Roundtree via decision probably the most unlikely outcome that anybody expected in that fight was Pracnio to win that fight via decision especially as a plus 335 underdog going into that fight but I do think that there's always just this bias on Khalil Roundtree that he's just going to continuously look good at fight after fight he had that great performance against Eric Anders but I think that's heavily weighing on him which is why people continue to overvalue him when he goes out there and has these fights um Pracnio, still I, I do believe he is very chinny if everybody remembers his UFC debut against Sam Alvey where he just got hit over and over again with that lead left hook and then eventually got finished after that it just leads you to believe that he's just going to continue to have those chin issues whenever he's going up against guys that are heavy hitters now Khalil couldn't find that button he did get very close near the ending of that second round but that still wasn't enough to put Pracnio away as I don't think that Khalil was truly efficient enough in his follow-up strikes after uh tagging Marcin Pracnio. Uh, with Ike here though I think that Ike is going to be able to eat whatever Pracnio is throwing at him and then counter effectively and then eventually find that chin and put his lights out. You know Pracnio it seemed like he really wanted to maintain the distance in his fight against Khalil. A lot of his strikes were coming from the kicking range where he was uh, safe in terms of keeping his head off the center line and not eating the brunt of the damage that Khalil was able to throw whenever he did uh, counter with those uh, leg counter those leg kicks of Marcin Pracnio. I do think that Pracnio will have the better movement here. I think he'll be the faster fighter, but I think at light heavyweight it's just going to come down to if that if that guy can truly find the button, which I do think that Marcin Pracnio's button is still very vulnerable and i do think he still has some big chin issues that need to be uh that need to be fixed uh, Ike Villanueva doesn't really look like a fighter if you talk about you know his physique or anything like that and you got to give him uh, a little bit of slack in his uh, UFC debut against Jay Sherman which I believe he took on short notice and up a weight class and you could definitely tell the difference in terms of the size once these guys stepped inside the cage now Marcin will still be the bigger fighter here standing at 6-3 with a 2 inch height advantage and a 1 inch reach advantage but I think it's going to be easier for uh, Ike to be able to counter him and then land the bigger shots to eventually put Marcin's lights out so the, the size that I am leaning here I just don't think that Pracnio should be a massive favorite against anybody even if it's Ike Villanueva I do think that Villanueva has decent striking technique and definitely a solid amount of power that he should be able to take advantage of whatever Pracnio is throwing his way counter him and then find that kill shot probably in the first or second round so um 
if this was lined at two and a half, I would definitely take the under two and a half here. But the one and a half leads me to believe that it's just going to be a little bit tougher, right? Ike might need a little bit more time to find that distance, find that range, and find that perfect counter shot, which will eventually put Pracnell's lights out. So I do like Villanueva here. I do think he eats everything that Pracnell throws at him and then eventually finishes him in the second round via KO. Warley Alves versus Jeremiah Wells. We got minus 230 on Warley Alves and plus 190 on the newcomer, Jeremiah Wells. Now, Jeremiah is actually stepping in for Ramazan Amiv, who was not able to get, uh, make it to the fight, I believe, also just like Maxime Grishin was not able to get his visa cleared in time. And now in steps Jeremiah Wells, former CFFC champion, taking on Warley Alves now. Um, I was very excited to actually have Amiv as a minus 140 dog against Warley Alves as I thought that was a very good spot for him to go out there and win. And even though uh, Ramazan Amiv goes out there and fights very close to his opponent's level, or at least making a much closer fight than it should be, at least it's at minus 140 compared to the minus 300 that he's normally sitting at. And I thought that we were getting a ton of value on Amiv in this spot. Unfortunately, like I said, he pulls out. Hopefully that's a matchup that eventually gets lined up in the future. But this is a much better spot for Wally Alves to go out there and continue his winning streak that he was able to, you know, especially the last time around, he was able to turn away Munir Lezez, who a lot of people were very high on, myself included. And he goes out there and shows that his UFC experience definitely has done him well. And he's able to take out these uh, newcomers. And I don't think that it will be any different different this week and when he goes up against jeremiah wells now wells seems like a very explosive fighter in bursts he goes out there and throws some big shots every now and then is a bit of a banshee at times but i do believe that his uh his more of his times of inactivity are a detriment to his fighting style and that's exactly where wally alvis should be able to capitalize on him in this spot Jeremiah Wells, I believe only two out of his eight victories have come via decision, the rest of them coming by first or second round knockout, and that goes to show more often than not that it's difficult for him to win decisions, especially against guys that are able to either match or go above his pace, which is more often than not. Uh, I believe Warley Alves does have a little bit of cardio issues, but I think that the inactivity that Jeremiah Wells, Jeremiah Wells brings into the cage here will allow him to put on a full 15-minute display, and I do think that we'll actually see Warley Alves go out there and win this fight via decision could get a finish early here especially with the jump in competition that jeremiah was is going to be taking and uh, obviously we know wally is very devastating with his leg kicks just as we saw or sorry his body kicks just as we saw in the lizaz fight but also has a ton of power in his hands and a pretty crafty jiu-jitsu game especially if jeremiah was decides to take this fight to the ground and tries to expose him in that aspect i just don't see it happening i'd be very surprised if jeremiah was actually gets his hand raised this weekend and i am on the side of wally alves am i will Willing to play him at minus 230 though probably not you know I, I just as i said like i faded wally alves uh even with the lock i played last time and even though it blew up in my face i don't i still don't think that he's this top level competitor that all these people are making him out to be which is why it really surprised me that he was only a minus one for or sorry he was only a plus 120 dog to ramazan before that fight got cancelled Luckily for him, though, I think he uh, wins this fight quite easily. I'm actually going to take him to win this fight by decision. It could come via finish as well. Jeremiah Wells, I believe uh, his losses have only come via decision. Yeah, he only has two losses via decision. He does have a split draw as well. Uh, but yeah, has yet to be finished. And I'm not sure that Warley Alves will be the guy to get the finish here either. So I'm going Warley Alves. I'm going Warley Alves by decision. But I will more than likely be evading this spot or avoiding this uh, uh, fight altogether from a betting perspective. But once again, I'm going Warley Alves and I'm taking him to win by decision. 
Michel Prezeres going up against Shavkat Rachmanov. We got minus 275 and steaming Shavkat Rachmanov going up against the plus 235 Michel Uh We did see Shavkat around that minus 200 range. And as fight week is going on, he's going up to that minus 300 range. I wouldn't even be surprised if he actually closes at minus 400. Now, Shavkat obviously had a successful UFC debut going out there and choking out Alex Cowboy Oliveira back at UFC 254 in October. Whereas Michel Michelle Prezeres has actually been out of the cage a little bit longer. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen him. I believe uh, 2019 was actually the last time we saw him. I'm surprised I didn't have this information actually up and available to me as soon as I hit record. But the last time we did see him was February of 2019, where he was able to, or he actually ended up losing against Ishmael Nardiev, who actually does not find himself in the UFC anymore. That was a fight where we saw Prezeres go 3 of 13 on takedowns, was out completely outstretched struck on that fight as Nordiev did a good job in terms of getting back to his feet and I do think that we're starting to see the slowdown of Michel Prezeres who just hit 40 years old or sorry he will be hitting 40 years old uh in July so he's just about a month away from actually turning 40 years old here um, he did also get hit with the USADA suspension, so he, that's probably the reason he's been out for as long as he has. Uh, and this is not a good fight for him to come back to against uh, you know a, a guy like Shavkat Rachmanov, who's undefeated, thirteen and zero, has a ton of. Um, has a ton of hype behind him you know a kazakhstani fighter with a with a lot of support behind him and seems to have a lot of skills too uh the 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 size disadvantage here is going to be very pronounced i think he's going to have about a six or seven inch height advantage on um on uh preserves here i actually want to get the exact numbers we got six one seventy seven inch reach for uh rachmanov and then we got five six 67 inch reach so a 10 inch reach advantage actually uh for rachmanov and then uh roughly about uh what is that five six six to seven inch uh height advantage as well so that's going to look hilarious once these guys actually score off against each other but i think that the the style of preserves is going to play right into the hand of rachmanov you know preserves you know likes to move forward likes to drag fights to the ground but he doesn't seem to have the greatest top position anymore and i think that rachmanov who has a solid jujitsu game of his own is going to make it very difficult difficult for preserves to establish any top pressure or any of his pressure period my 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 question mark here though is like i know storyline wise and narrative wise everything is going against preserves here but i think that we still need to see rachmanov prove prove himself a little bit more we know alex cowboy Oliveira can be a wild card at times sometimes he shows up looking amazing sometimes he just shows up looking dull you know and just lets the fight slip past him and that could have been the uh the the case last time around i want to see a little bit more from rachmanov before i go out there and you know pay heavy juice on him especially against a guy who's been in the ufc for as long as preserves has now i know he's coming up on 40 years old like i said at the top of this breakdown but i do think that he could potentially like if he lands takedowns he could maybe grind this fight out make it very difficult for rachmanov to get his own game off but at the end of the day after running all the tape i still do end up on the Rachmanov side of things uh there is a spot on this card that I feel very much more comfortable in terms of backing rather than the Rachmanov side of things but I do think that Rachmanov still should go out there and uh get a victory of his own does he get the finish that that's difficult to say given how durable Preserves has been Preserves only has three losses on his record and it's crazy the the 
the streak that he's been on. He's never been finished. Obviously, losses to Paulo Thiago. That was his first ever UFC fight. Goes on to win two straight fights. Uh, then loses to Kevin Lee via decision. Then puts together, what, two, four, six, eight... Eight straight wins en route to his fight against Ishmael Nardiev where he ends up losing via decision. This is another fight where he'll probably end up losing via decision. But Rachmanov does have some very, uh, does have a solid aggressive game, does have some power, does have some uh, violence in him which could potentially lead to a finish of his own. But I think a lot of his work comes in the submission game and I'm not sure if he'll be able to really find the neck, the, the non-existent neck of a preserves in this spot. So he's probably going to have to take home a limb of some sort. I'm going to take Rachmanov. I will take him by submission, though. Uh, you know, maybe in the second or third round, he has a little bit more left in the tank. He does have some decent victories on his record pre-UFC, which I think will help him, you know, climb the mountain that is Prezeris here. Um, and I think he'll get the win. So I'm going to actually take Rachmanov by, let's say, third round TKO here. Probably gets the top position. Probably will have the better gas tank at that point in time. And then start raining down the shots on the ever-declining Prezeris. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with Rachmanov by third round TKO. Uh, but in terms of laying the chalk here, I want to see him prove himself a little bit more before I trust him here at minus 300-ish. Again, by fight time, probably minus 400-ish. But yeah, I'm going Rachmanov. Rachmanov by KO TKO in round three. Kennedy and Zetchuku versus Danilo Marquez. We got minus 125 on Kennedy and Zetchuku and plus 105 for Danilo Marquez, who was originally scheduled to fight Ed Herman. Ed Herman pulls out in steps Kennedy, especially off that big win he just had over Carlos Olberg. I believe that was back at UFC 259, where he springs a big upset and finishes Carlos Olberg near the ending of that third round. Uh, Kennedy and Zetchuku seems to be that guy that still is trying to find his footing inside the UFC. Still seems a little green at times but he seems to have the physicality athleticism and size to go out there and be very successful at that at this 205 pound division not to mention he has a mastermind of a head coach behind him and safe sayu training down there at fortis mma and this is a fight that he should go out there and win and if he doesn't is going to look very very bad on his record in my opinion now i think that danilo marquez is the worst 2-0 fighter in the ufc i think he has a lot to be or he leaves a lot to be desired in terms of his uh inability to to you know put, put together a solid mma game now i that's tough to say obviously with the win in his last fight over mike rodriguez where he was able to secure takedown after takedown and then eventually find a submission in that second round uh but even the hadisi Bergima fight very bad fight for both guys very sloppy fight for both guys but luckily for danilo he was the one that was able to get his hand raised as he you know was just slightly less sloppy in that fight i believe he has a non-existent striking game he is a big powerful guy that can definitely put together some good combinations but i think he really lacks the technique and i think a guy like kennedy and zachuku can totally take advantage of that danilo needs to get the fight to the ground to be successful otherwise i think he's gonna really struggle with the uh, the power athleticism and speed that zachuku will bring to the table here I'd honestly be surprised if this fight even reaches the second round, to be honest. I think that uh, this is going to be a high violent fight, as I believe that Marquez is going to be wading into the fire to try to get this fight to the ground, whereas Kennedy is going to be returning with a lot of big shots to try to keep uh, Danilo on the outside. 
I know the over under is I well it looks like the over under for the majority is set at one and a half and the under one and a half currently sits at plus 150 and I think that this is a solid spot for this to go out uh, and, and hit I don't think that Marquez will be able to deal with the power of Kennedy and I do think that Kennedy although he is green he should still be able to muster up some solid combinations to go out there and put down Danilo Marquez I just don't know if it's PTSD for me you know losing big chalk on uh, against Danilo Marquez last time around with Mike Rodriguez but that was a complete gaffe on my part in terms of trusting a guy like uh, Mike Rodriguez to put together a solid enough game plan and you know be able to stay away from the grappling of Danilo Marquez and then eventually knock him out. I think that Enzechukwu will be a little bit more successful. I think that his takedown defense will look slightly better. But obviously, if you look at Enzechukwu's record and just wiki cap this fight, it doesn't look good that he has a submission loss to Paul Craig um, You know, in a fight that he was pretty much winning the entire time. So I do think that we'll see Kennedy have way more success in this fight than he did in the Paul Craig fight. And I think he actually find the, the finish quite early in this fight. Um... yeah I don't really know how much more to break down this fight and how well I can break it down for you it's pretty much either Danilo Marquez drags this fight to the ground tries to get his grappling game going or Kenny Enzechukwu is able to keep this fight on the feet and just absolutely torch uh, Danilo on the feet Uh, both guys have massive advantages in their realms but I do think that Kennedy's size and improving game should be able to keep this fight in the stand-up realm and that's where Enzechukwu should be able to put his punches together some combinations together and then eventually the kill combination which he'll probably get in that first round here so uh, I might not be backing it with my own money here uh, and I'll probably be fading this fight all in all I might actually you know take a stab at the under one and a half at plus 150 because I do think that it will deliver with the violence so I'm actually going to be leaning with the Kennedy side here uh, and I'm hoping you know there's no way that Danilo Marquez can go three you know inside the UFC as I don't think he's that good of a talent, to be honest. So I'm going with Kennedy and Zetsugu, and I'll take him to win by first-round knockout. Hanato Moikano versus Jay Herbert. We got minus 240 on Moikano and plus 200 on Jay Herbert. Let's start off on the Hanato Moikano side of things as he, you know, starting to look better than he has before um you know he did fall to jose aldo korean zombie and then Rafael Fiziev. but uh, i do think that he still has the chops to go out there and have a very successful ufc career and start to achieve that um that potential that a lot of people had for him especially with him going in as a favorite in his fight against um against uh jose aldo that was when he was on a bit of a, a winning streak, a two-fight winning streak. Uh, you know, before that, he did get choked out by Brian Ortega late in the third round in a fight that he was clearly winning. Uh, but he is uh, hopefully going to be able to start getting his uh, get his mojo back about him. I am incorrect, though. He His last fight was a loss to Hafiel Fiziev, where Fiziev was able to knock him out in that first round. But before that, he was able to quickly dismantle of Demir Hadzvich 44 seconds into the fight by uh, finishing him by rear naked choke. That was one of the fights that delivered us the greatest memes where you see Demir Hadzvic super pissed off and saying, you know, why did you have to finish me so quickly? That's pretty much all it was. Uh, but it was one of the more funnier moments that we've ever come across. Now, the issue with Hanato Moikano here seems to be his striking defense. He seems to be quite vulnerable as people are able to put together some solid combinations and find that chin of his and eventually down him. That is a big 
question mark here, especially going up against a very talented striker like Jay Herbert. And if Honato Moicano is not successful in getting his takedown game going, I think he's going to be in big, big trouble here with Jay Herbert, who showed in his last fight, even in a loss, that he has some solid power of his own. You know, not often do you see Francisco Trinaldo hurt, rocked, and dropped on numerous occasions. He's never even been finished in his fights. But Jay Herbert was damn near close to doing so before he eventually got finished himself in that third round of their fight. And if that fight had gone to the judges' scorecards, more than likely he wins that fight too. So Jay Herbert has a lot to bring to the table here. I think he's very skilled, but uh, skill for skill, he might be a little bit outmatched here against Renato Moicano. The line is just a little bit too wide for me, right? Minus 240 against a guy that has durability issues going up against a guy that's, you know, not as proven yet, but shows the skills in terms of striking, you know, straight shots down the middle, big power in his hands, and then obviously coming off a loss there might be some bias going into this fight. So uh, I'd be very careful in terms of parlaying Moicano in this spot. This is a fight that I'll probably be fading in full, but I do think that uh, there is some value in the potential for the, the under 2.5, which I think is sitting around minus 145. I think Moicano could drag this to the ground and eventually get a submission of some sort. Or Jay Herbert could find some, uh, you know, some some success with his strikes and possibly knock out Hanato Moicano himself early in this fight. Very close fight, very impressed by both guys. I believe the line is too wide, but I just don't have enough confidence on the Herbert side of things to actually go out there and shell out that money. So I will be picking Moikana to win this fight. I think he's probably going to win by first or second round submission, but he needs to be very careful, mind his P's and Q's, be very disciplined, especially when he's closing the distance here because Jay Herbert can definitely crack, and I feel like Moikana has a durability issue, and I'm not going to be backing him at minus 240 until he distances himself a little bit more from getting finished you know three times in his last four fights not a good look at all so i'm going hanato waikano i'll go by uh first round submission is what i'll go with but to be very very careful in terms of parlaying waikano here because he could absolutely be as my my boy cody saftik says he could absolutely be the apple pie shooter here but i will take waikano to win this fight via via first round submission Tim Means versus Nicholas Dalby. We got minus 135 on the Dirty Bird and plus 115 on Locomotivo, I think his nickname is for Nicholas Dalby. Let's start off on the Dalby side of things, who's 3-0-0 and two no contests in his last five fights. Um, if you guys do remember, his last no contest was actually a loss to Jesse Ronson. Jesse Ronson was able to land a beautiful punch on him to drop him and then eventually find that rear naked choke where he was able to get his first first victory inside the UFC after finally making his second uh, uh, stint or starting his second stint in the UFC on short notice against Dalby. The fight before that, that actually got uh, turned to an old contest or was actually declared an old contest inside the cage was his fight against Ross Houston back at Cage Warriors where it was such a bloody fight that the cage was just too slippery the canvas or whatever it was was just too slippery for either guy to get anything going and it was probably the first time i've ever seen a fight actually uh you know just ended due to a no contest due to the the, the cage just being too bloody both guys were absolutely pouring blood uh probably one of the bloodiest fights i've ever seen if you guys haven't seen that i would definitely go uh recommend checking it out it was just as fun as it was bloody let's just put it that way 
But since coming back to the UFC, Nicholas Dalby is now 2-0-0 and 1-0 contest. Both of those wins coming over Alex uh, Cowboy Oliveira and then Daniel Rodriguez last time around in a fight that a lot of people thought that Nicholas Dalby got a gift in terms of a decision. Now, after watching that fight back once again, it was a very close fight that I don't truly believe that could be said is a robbery. We've definitely seen much worse in the past couple of weeks, Roy McDonald versus Gleason Tebow included. But even that fight, there, there, there's such close rounds that there isn't no there isn't really a definitive uh sequence happening in any of those rounds that truly sets either fighter apart now i do think that the clearest round in that dalby rodriguez fight was the third round which clearly went to nicholas dalby now if you gave him one of those first two rounds i wouldn't be completely mad either very very close fight and i think a lot of people that are upset were the ones that are putting the minus 385 chalk on daniel rodriguez now, I tweeted out earlier this week that if you bet the chalk on Mr. Um, Daniel Rodriguez last time around, you're getting a gift here with Tim Means around that minus 135, minus 140 range. And I'm very surprised that the line actually plummeted close to minus 125. And it seems like it's going to be hovering around that at this point now. Nicholas Dalby, it seemed like he started, you know, uh, he was really striking in the uh, the Jesse Ronson fight as well as the Daniel Rodriguez fight, but he really did focus on his grappling in the Alex Oliveira fight, which, uh, you know, it was back and forth. And again, another spot where you can say that Nicholas Dalby got a gift in that third round where he was stood up uh, when he was pretty much, uh, you know, half mounted by a cowboy Oliveira up against the cage and was just eating shot after shot after shot it seemed like the uh, referee that was in that fight uh was very uh rookieish. he seemed like a newbie there's many spots where it seemed like he was uh, stumbling and he just didn't really know what the fuck he was doing and uh luckily for Dalby uh he was able to capitalize on that get the takedown of his own afterwards and then ride out the rest of that round because I truly believed it was 1-1 going into that third round now here against Tim Means he's going to be going up against a very tough technical striker and I think that uh, Tim Means will actually have the advantage on the feet here for as long as this fight lasts the my only concern with the Tim Means side of things is his durability like he did get locked out by Nico Price about five fights ago uh, he did get hurt very very bad by Daniel Rodriguez and then eventually subbed right after that three fights ago so it hasn't been too long for me now in terms of uh distancing Tim Means from those knockout losses now Nicholas Dalby hasn't actually had a knockout victory in the UFC as of late but he did go on a three-fight uh, KO streak, I believe, in Cage Warriors before coming over, uh, before having his Ross Houston fight and then eventually getting re-signed to the UFC. So Dalby definitely has some power. He's very explosive. Obviously, he doesn't have the same fighting style as Mike Perry, who a lot of people believe has more uh, knockout power than uh, Dalby. But it feels like uh, Mike Perry is very, very flat in that fight. He lands a takedown right off the bat, but then after that, it was pretty much Tim Means for the majority of that fight. Mike Perry was just backing up the entire time while he was eating jabs and hooks and all the shots that Tim Means was able to muster up, whereas Nicholas Dalby will probably be moving a little bit more and offering a little bit more resistance than what Mike Perry is bringing to the table. Now, if we just take out that knockout threat that Nicholas Dalby could present here against the very chinny, in my opinion, uh, Tim Means, I think Tim Means absolutely cruises here. I think that uh, Dalby... 
you know, his best bet here would be to pursue the takedowns as earlier in Tim Means's career, he was very uh, much out grappled and, and out wrestled, which is why the majority of his opponents were able to get victories back then. But the recent Tim Means that we've seen, I'd say just after the, the Bilal Muhammad fight, I, I, I did the calculations, I think it was like two out of 17 takedowns have been completed on him. But, uh, you know, from very skeptical competition in terms of guys that aren't historically good at landing takedowns. Nick Nicholas Dobby could possibly uh, throw a wrench to that plans and start taking him down as well. But I do think that means Will find his way back to his feet. I think that means Will keep this fight on the feet for the majority of it and really go to work on Dalby in terms of the striking. He will completely outstrike him, completely outvolume him, and just throw a different variety of strikes that just Nicholas Dalby will not be able to uh, be prepared for or continuously take as he uh, keeps uh, you know, getting hit and getting damaged up. It seemed like Dalby did spend the majority of his training camp over there in Denmark uh, before he did go to SPG Ireland and all that for prior training camp but it seems like this time around he just stayed in his hometown of Copenhagen uh, whereas uh, Tim Means we obviously know that he trains out of uh, Albuquerque uh, I believe um NBK, NBH, I can't remember the name of his gym, but uh, Tom Vaughn is his head coach and has been his head coach since he was like 8 or 10 years old. So he does have a very good bond with him too. Uh, again, stylistically speaking, I think that Tim Means goes out there and outstrikes Dalby. And as long as he doesn't get knocked out in any one of those exchanges, this should be his fight to win. And I'm very happy with the line that we're getting here on Tim Means. I thought he, you know, I, I believe he opened around minus 200. And that's where I truly thought it would stick around. But it seems like there's a lot of people that are truly questioning questioning his durability issues and i'm one of them for sure but it's not to the point to go out there and actually bet dalby as i do think that means should be able to wipe the floor with him as long as this fight stays in the striking realm so once again i'm going to go with tim means and uh i will say that dalby is quite durable so i will say that this fight actually goes the full 15 minutes so ultimately i'll be going with tim means to win this fight via decision andre feely versus Daniel Pineda for some reason I want to say Bryce Mitchell because that's the first name that came to my head we got Andre Feely coming in at minus 225 and plus 185 is the return on Daniel the Pitt Pineda and we'll start off on the Pineda side of things who's coming off a knockout loss to Cub Swanson in a fight that a lot of people were pretty much breaking on uh, Pineda to go out there and do the same thing to Cub Swanson unfortunately for Pineda he was the one uh the, getting knocked out that night uh, it seems like people are quickly jumping off the Pineda train after they quickly jumped on after he uh, pulled off a big upset victory over Herbert Burns in his return to the UFC. And that's just the state of MMA betting. You know what I mean? People are just, what have you done for me lately? We can say the same thing about Tanner Bozer, who fights later on in this card, who, you know, big a big favorite going up against Andre Olowski, loses that fight. Now people are kind of just throwing him out the window. And same thing with Daniel Pineda here. I think people are just uh, overlooking him because he went out there and lost to Cub Swanson in his last fight. But that said i'm still actually picking andre feely to win this fight as i do think that he can go out there and put together a solid game plan and uh center around sticking and moving letting his strikes go and, and really uh kind of thwarting the forward pressure that daniel pineda normally puts on his opponents daniel pineda has this crazy you know uh streak of of uh not going to a decision more often than not his victories do come via finish and even his losses come via finish but i think that we'll see actually a little bit of a difference here with uh feely going out there and playing a disciplined approach here against daniel Plata and uh you know kind of making sure that feely doesn't go out there and take another loss especially after the the fight that he had against bryce mitchell last time around i do think that feely has the chops to go out there and implement that game plan efficiently efficiently in terms of sticking and moving and staying away from the big power and the takedowns of Pineda. but even if this fight does hit the ground i think that feely will remain competitive enough 
enough in terms of uh, nullifying anything that Pineda tries to put together here. Uh, I do say, or I will say though, that I believe the line is a little bit too wide. Minus 225, I think, is a little bit too wide to be uh, trusting Andre Feely with, especially with an all-action fighter like Daniel Pineda staring across the cage from him. I will take Feely to win this fight, though. I do think that his sticking and moving, staying on the outside, his jab, when it's on, it's definitely one of the best in the UFC. I think that's going to give Pineda a ton of problems here, especially in terms of closing the distance and implementing his own game. I do like Feely. I do think that he has still some potential to remain in that top 15 and you know you know be a solid gatekeeper i don't ever think he'll find a title shot for himself but i do think he should be able to turn away guys like a daniel pineda and guys that probably don't deserve to be in the top 15 now i love pineda right i'm a big fan of his i think he's you know his all action style and his ability to create finishes whether it's him getting finished or you know him finding the finish that will always make him a ufc mainstay i think i think even if he goes on a two or three fight losing streak the ufc will keep keep him around just because of the entertainment value that he provides i do think that Philly will be able like i said to throw out that entertainment type style from pineda that forward pressure that he always brings to his opponents and then just go out there and outstrike uh pineda for the majority of 15 minutes so the way that i'm looking at it again like i said pineda more often than not gets finished when he does lose as well but i do think that we'll see a very safe and cautious approach here from Philly uh to win this fight via decision which currently sits at plus 215 I think if you're betting Philly, that's probably the way to go here. But again, who knows what the durability of Pineda looks like. And uh, Philly could definitely find that shot that could put Pineda down here. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say that Philly goes out there and touches him up in a disciplined approach and wins this fight via decision. Howney Barcelos versus Timora Valiev. And this is easily the fight that I'm looking forward to most on this card. Both guys, up and coming prospects. I don't want to call them prospects as they are, you know, getting up there a little bit in age. I believe uh, Barcelos is closer to 32, 33 years old. Valley of definitely getting up there as well. But these guys are up and coming. They definitely have a lot of steam behind them. I'd say more so on the Barcelos side than the Valley of side, as Valley of obviously lost in his UFC debut against Trevin Jones. But he did manage to bounce back in his next fight with this very safe approach, a grapple heavy approach against Martin Day last time around. Harney Barcelos, on the other hand, has been going out there and fighting decent competition, but given his record, given his skill set and everything, he should be fighting higher level of guys. You know what I mean? In his UFC career, he comes in, I believe, in his UFC debut, uh, goes out there and beats uh, Kurt Hollibaut, third-round knockout, then follows that up by choking out Chris Gutierrez, then Carlos Watson, but that was the fight he was scheduled to fight Saeed Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov pulls out and in steps uh, Carlos Watson, and uh, he's able to finish him. Goes to a decision against Saeed Nurmagomedov wins that fight and then goes to a decision against Khalid Taha in a fight that he had plenty of opportunities to finish him but Taha's willingness uh, and durability actually shone through in that fight and he was able to survive to see the judges scorecards but you know Barcelos scheduled to fight Marab Devalishvili uh, scheduled to fight Hafiala Sunsao and even scheduled to fight Marcelo Hojo who eventually pulls out of that fight um and now here he is a couple months later scheduled to fight Timur Valiev. Again, a fight that should tell us a lot about both fighters. Barcelos is great all around though. Great wrestling game if I'm not mistaken. He's a part of the Brazilian wrestling team. Great jiu-jitsu, black belt in jiu-jitsu. Great Muay Thai striker as well. And shows some great durability. His only loss in his career is to Mark Dickman uh, back in April of 2014. Uh, where he got choked out in the second round and mark dickman has not done much since then dickman actually is two and five two and four since that fight losing the fights to uh, daniel pineda juan archuleta 
and Paulo Santos as well as Justin Lawrence. Um, in terms of Aliyev, he's actually one of those Mark Henry uh, Dagestani guys compared to the AKA Khabib type uh, Dagestani guys. We get, you know, the, the, I feel like the Mark Henry guys, you know, they're way, they're, sorry, they are way more comfortable with their striking. You know, they, they throw a lot of spinning shit, a lot of flying shit, uh, a lot of power in their shots, but they definitely do have grappling in their back pocket if they require it. And I think that uh, we'll see, you know, pretty much all their skills on display in this fight, as I believe both guys are very well-rounded i just give a slight notch above to barcelos as i do think that he's a little bit more efficient in his striking approach especially with the muay thai that he's able to put together great leg kicks you know he, he looks like a young jose aldo in there when he's getting his leg kicks going uh his striking is very on point whereas timor seems a little bit more explosive right he doesn't throw crazy combinations he throws a lot of spinning stuff a lot of fancy stuff to kind of just implement his uh you know his will with force rather than combinations like how barcelos does and then they mix in the grappling right I, I'm, I'm so curious to see who will get the better of the grappling in this fight in terms of uh cardio both guys seem to have solid cardio they both seem like they can go a hard 15 especially at a relentless pace so i'm not really sure who gets the edge in that aspect but again i think it's going to come down to the fight which is uh, when it's in the gray zone and in my opinion the gray zone is going to be the striking where it's close but i think the volume and the better strikes are going to be coming from the barcelo side of things now, i'm seeing a lot of love for timor valiev all over my twitter timeline and i get it i completely understand it you know if you want to look at the line here i think that it's a little bit off i do believe that valiev you know shouldn't be as big of a dog which is why i'm seeing a ton of people go out there and laying that uh, that plus money of valiev because he does have a good shot to go out there and beat a guy like barcelos However, just like the Volkov fight, I feel like this is going to be a fight where a lot of people seeking the value are still going to end up ripping up their tickets on on, on Saturday night. You know, I, I do think that Barcelos is just a notch above. I just think he's just slightly better. And I think that will be enough for him to go out there and get a decision victory over Timur Valiev. Uh, close fight like I said very very close fight you know this could even go to a split decision and you guys have heard me say it time and time again if a fight goes to a split decision I would rather be holding the plus money ticket than the under or the, the favorite ticket uh, and especially in this situation where you got minus 200 uh, on Barcelos if it's going to a, a split decision uh, value is probably the right betting side but with that said I wouldn't be surprised to see this line take way more action come fight time and then we possibly even get Barcelos around that minus 150 minus 160 range which i'd be a little bit more fine with in terms of taking a shot on him there compared to the minus 200 that he's currently at so i'm going barcelos like i said i think he's just going to be a notch above no matter where this fight goes and i think that he'll always get the, the upper hand land the better shots the more impactful shots and sway the judges a little bit more so i'm going to go, be going with barcelos and i'll take him to win this fight via decision Oh, Vincent Prue going up against Tanner Bozer. This is actually a short notice spot for Tanner Bozer, who just recently lost to Ilir Latifi. He steps in for Maxime Grishin, who's not able to get his visa cleared in time so that he can take on OSP this weekend. And uh, OSP going right back up to heavyweight so that he can stay active and actually end up fighting this weekend, like I said, with Maxime Grishin pulling out. Now we got minus 170 on the Canadian and plus 150 on uh, OSP. And I think that's an accurate line as I truly think that uh, Bozer should go out there and win a classic Bozer type fight now a lot of people aren't the biggest on Bozer in this fight considering you know he's on a bit of a skid right now not to mention the last fight where he got you know 
It looked like, based on the numbers, that he was winning, but uh, Latifi did a good enough job in terms of securing takedowns and landing some good enough shots from on top to sway at least the judges on his side to, to win that fight. I just don't think that OSP will be as successful as Latifi was in terms of implementing his wrestling game. We know St. Prue has a very crafty jiu-jitsu game. Obviously, they're calling it the Vrom Prue now, considering how many submission victories he has coming via Von Flu. Uh, but I truly think that he doesn't have the top position and wrestling chops that Elir Latifi was able to bring to the table against Tanner Bozer. So yeah, OSP might be able to land a takedown here against Bozer, but I think he's going to struggle in terms of keeping it down. And then also as this fight progresses i think he's going to struggle in terms of taking tanner bozer down time and time again osp has had cardio dumps in the past and i'm expecting the same thing here especially with the pace and pressure that tanner bozer more often than not goes out there and puts on his opponents more often than not you also see tanner bozer go out there and implement a very efficient uh leg kicking game and i'm, I'm thinking that's going to be very important for him to do here against the longer osp and especially with the flat-footedness that osp brings to the table here i think that bozer can and absolutely take full advantage of that by kicking him time and time again slowing down osp and then eventually getting his hands going i do think that this fight goes ends up going the full 15 minutes i do think we see bozer successful in at least in the second and third rounds by implementing that bozer type pressure pace and output which osp will have a very very hard time in terms of keeping up with i truly think the only way osp wins this fight is if he's successfully able to take it down time and time again or snatch that submission in the first round but i think that's going to be very difficult for him to do uh especially you know change of style and opponents uh especially going up a weight class now too that there's a ton of different things that you need to take into consideration if you're looking to back osp in this spot so i will be going with my fellow canadian no bias here though you know what i mean i always take that out whenever i'm trying to give advice in terms of predictions and who you should be betting on but i do think that bozer is the rightful favorite i do think that bozer wins this fight by decision as well which i currently believe sits around minus or sorry plus wow i'm, I'm seeing plus 240 which i think is an absolutely insane line i do think that there's a ton of value there and i do think that we'll see bozer notch that decision victory so i'd sprinkle a little bit on that prop uh but i'll also be taking bozer uh to win by decision time for the main event we got cyril Gan going up against alexander volkov in terms of odds we got minus 165 on cyril Gan and plus 145 on alexander volkov now the line movement has been quite interesting as we did see cyril Gan open up around that minus 150 range and then he did get bet all the way up to minus 185 ish and now the money is starting to come in come back in on volkov bringing his line down to about minus 165 now this is a great fight as i true truly believe that this is the Stiffest test that Saragon has had to go up up go up against in all of his MMA career. Now Volkov, very skilled, very experienced, and highly, uh, you know. Uh, highly tested uh, veteran uh, Volkov has been pretty much all over the MMA scene being the M1 champion Bellator champion and obviously trying to add that UFC belt to his mantle as well but he's had a pretty rough stretch in terms of stringing wins together to eventually get a title shot obviously he strung some wins together and then ran into Derek Lewis strung a couple more wins together and then ran into Curtis Blades now here he is stringing a couple wins together and running into Cyril Gunn which I think ultimately will stop his uh 
uh, will stop his momentum once again, as I truly think that Surigon has a lot to bring to the table, and he still isn't even scratching uh, the surface of what potential he can bring to the UFC cage. Now, on the Volkov side of things, like I said, he's coming off a win over Al Alistair Overeem, where he really put it on Overeem and then eventually finished him not too late, not too far uh, after. The fight before that, he was my lock of the night play against Walter Harris, and I thought that I was getting a gift of a line around that minus 150-ish mark as a lot of people were putting too much stock into Volkov getting knocked out by Derek Lewis uh, right before that. And they believe that Walt Harris would be able to replicate the same thing. That was a fight where we saw Volkov, newly and new improved version of Volkov physically, I should say, as he put on a ton of muscle and now starts to tip the skills at that 265-pound weight uh, and more than likely is starting to cut weight now to uh, to actually make that limit rather than just walking around around that 240, 250-ish that he used to. I think it's a great addition to his physique, especially, uh, you know, really filling out that frame of his. But I do think that it's going to cause him some concern, especially when he starts going up against guys that are going to have the speed advantage, just as I believe that Cyril Gan will have the speed advantage in this fight. Now, a lot of people are, are low on the Gan side of things because of his fight against Rosenstrike last time around. But I do believe that's more so on Rosenstrike's side than it is on Gan's side. Now, with Gan, in that fight, he needed to fight a pretty clean fight for 25 minutes, go out there and try not to get knocked knocked out by a devastating knockout puncher like Jerzinho Rosenstrike. You make one little slip up and you're definitely going to be staring up at the lights and that's what Gan was trying to avoid that entire time and luckily for him he was able to do so. So I, I think that people that were angry about that fight should be more so angry at Jerzinho Rosenstrike in terms of not opening up some more and uh, you know Gan stayed away from the big strikes, landed his own damage, did enough to go out there and uh, unanimously take home that that victory. I think with the, the thing with Gan is he's able to adjust his game plan so effortlessly no matter what kind of a, a opponent he's going up against and I expect him to do the same here against Alexander Volkov in terms of sticking and moving staying away from the big strikes of Volkov and you know maybe mixing in some clinch work as well as some takedowns to try to keep Volkov thinking for the entire uh, fight I think both guys are quite durable so I think that we'll see this fight go the full 25 minutes but I do think that ultimately it'll be gone who ends up getting his hand raised uh, as he's going to be the slightly more active and more mobile uh party in this fight volkov definitely has all the chops to go out there and make this a very difficult fight as a, as technically speaking i think he's the much cleaner and crisper muay thai striker but i do think it's going to come down to the fact that he's just not fast enough to catch what he's not going to be able to see here with gun gun should be able to get his strikes off and then get out of the way before volkov is able to land any uh, or even his big strikes and even when these guys clinch up i'm interested to see who's going to be the stronger guy but pre-tip i feel like it's actually going to be gone even though Volkov did pack on that muscle like I said over his last two fights I do think that gone wins this fight I see a lot of love for Volkov all over my timeline but I truly believe that's due to more so the value seeking than actually believing that he's going to win uh, sure there are some people that truly believe that Volkov will win and I can absolutely see the angle Volkov is a very skilled fighter definitely the toughest fighter that gone has fought but if you're going strictly off of resumes I think you're not giving gone the benefit of the doubt here obviously Volkov like I said, former champion in different uh, organizations and has fought the who's who in terms of the heavyweight fighters, especially Fabricio Verdum, Derek Lewis. Uh, you know, uh, he has a ton of names on his record. We can all agree upon that. Whereas Gan is still trying to carve out a
out his name uh, and carve out a spot for himself in this heavyweight division in the UFC. But you can't always let that be the benefactor in terms of why you're going out there and actually picking Volkov to win. It ultimately comes down to what these guys look like when they step inside the cage Saturday night, face off with each other, and what their skills currently look like compared to what Volkov was able to accrue over his, you know, 30-something plus fights, and Gan has only been able to go about eight or nine fights at this point in time. So I, I do like Gan. I do think he is definitely the the should be favored in this fight. I do think that he has a lot to bring to the table, and I do think that it's going to be too, too much for Volkov to truly track down and get his own game going. So I'm going with Gan here. I'm going to take him by decision. I think he's roughly around plus 205 to win by decision. And I think there's some solid value there as I do think that we'll see a very disciplined approach from him. Uh, go out there and, and really just stick and move against Volkov. Mix in a couple of takedowns if he's successful in doing so and go home with the decision victory. So uh, I'm going with the up-and-coming prospect finally cementing the best victory of his career by taking out Volkov, and I think he's going to do so by decision. And those are the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the breakdowns, and hopefully we're able to convert those breakdowns into some cash for you guys this weekend. If you guys haven't already, please don't make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, show your boys some support. If you guys want to show even more support, check out the Patreon. Link is in the description below. Five bucks a month. Best bang for your buck that you're going to get in the industry. And not to mention CoolBet. CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2, and they'll be sure to match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. And you're going to want to take full advantage of that, I promise. All right, tons of content still to come throughout the week. So make sure you guys stay tuned to this channel and make sure you guys hit the notification bell so that you guys know exactly when I'm either going live, which I intend on doing at least four more times this week before the fights go on. And then obviously whenever I drop some new content, which I'm planning on doing over the next couple of days as well. So shout out to all the supporters, shout out to all the subscribers, the haters, the lovers, everybody. Let's try to cash out on this weekend because we have a bye week next week, no UFC next week because they're making us, you know, uh, preparing us, building the anticipation for the big UFC 264 card headline by Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, uh, the trilogy, the rubber match. We'll see who ends up coming up on top. All right, good luck on your best this week, and I'll see you guys throughout the week. And uh, gamble responsibly, and uh, have a good week. See you guys uh, over the week. I don't even know how to finish these things. I'm so awkward in terms of finishing these things. Regardless, good luck this week, and I'll see you guys on the next edition of whatever podcast I'm doing.